Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. I might need a microphone to talk this morning. (laughs) Hilarious moment. So this morning, um, we are wrapping up our Last Word series. Um, So the last few weeks, we've been thinking about um, the last chapters of John and Jesus. It's almost as if he's been gathering his disciples. He's been saying to them, guys, if you've missed some of the finer detail of how to turn water into wine, if you're not quite sure of my doctrine on ecclesiology, then this is the main point. Basically, this is it. Um, This is the main stuff that I want you to to remember. And then I was reflecting a little bit on this and I was thinking if I was Jesus, I think I would have done this a little bit differently. Carl said something a bit like that. He said, you know, I would have done a lot more miracles. I would have packed them into those last weeks just in case anyone was in any doubt. I would have, you know, whacked a few more in there. If I was Jesus, I think I would have got people a lot more organized. I don't know if anyone else is with me there. Um, I would have probably would have gone a little bit like like this, huddling guys, huddling. Okay, I'm leaving. Big project deadline. Um, very important that you get your heads around this. So, um, Peter, don't stuff this up. Um, you stuffed up many things. Don't stuff this up. James, anger management problem. Please go to your classes. Okay. Um, John, anyone seen John? John? Oh, <laughs> head in the clouds. Um, But he hasn't, and Jesus has talked about some amazing things, and um, hasn't this last few weeks just been great? I think Carl's taught it so well. The Father has a house, and the house is our home, that the love of God stoops for us, and it flows in us, that as we abide, he's talked about gardening, as we abide in the vine, his life comes out of us. And in this last passage, going to look this morning at John 19 at the cross, Jesus, he said all of these things, but here in this passage, he's facing the cross. And he says, in stark contrast to the rest of the chapter, 46 words, and there's a great deal of silence. So why don't we read together as we unpack this passage this morning? I'm going to read from John 19 verses 16 to 30. If you've got a Bible, you might want to open it. John 19, verses 16. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. 
this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had finished, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's just pray together as we come around God's gospel this morning. Father, we thank you um, for John's um, recording of this event, the death of our Savior. Um, And we pray, Father, that you would speak this morning. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. um, Wherever we're coming from this morning, we welcome your word, your word, Father, what you would say. Would you breathe life um, through this passage in you this morning? Amen. Amen. Tetelestai. 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 It is finished. It is finished. These three words, they've captured the imaginations of thousands over centuries. I don't know about you, but in times of weariness, they've spurred me on for the more. It is finished. In times of great strength and and victory and things are great, it is finished. That's been a great shout for me. But I guess I want to ask this morning, what did it mean that 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, it is finished, and he meant it? What's the significance that John records these three words as the very last words of Jesus? And I think as we wrap up the whole last words series of John, there's no better place to start really than there. And Jesus probably didn't cry finished in the way that we might say finished. I've finished the peanut butter, or more frequently in my house, you finished the peanut butter and you didn't tell me, so I haven't got any more. Or I finished the loo roll, or I finished the ironing, finally, or I finished that project. The English language doesn't really capture the fullness of, I think, what Jesus meant here, because this um, is no cry of defeat. This is Jesus's victory shout. He's saying, I have completely fulfilled the task that my father has sent me. I've utterly validated, perfectly realized what I have been asked to do. And it was actually, and this is really important, it was about Jesus' obedience to the father. And I've been learning a little bit about obedience recently that I thought I would share with you this morning. I have a little boy called Charlie who will be one this week, which is just crazy. Um, And... uh, we're sort of entering the territory of no, basically. Um, so Charlie will be playing, you know, somewhere inappropriately with the wires and cables behind the television, for example. And um, so I look at him and with a very straight face, which is 
very difficult for me. I'm not very good at straight faces. Um, I look at him and I say, Charlie, no, like this, and shake, shake my head. And, and he kind of looks back at me as if butter would not melt in his mouth. And, uh, and, he, and he grins. And then he shakes his head at me like this. <laughs> uh, so we're working, we're working on the obedience thing. It's, it's, you know, sometimes goes well, sometimes not so well. Um, but Jesus, Jesus here, he is perfectly obedient to the Father. That's what's happening. He completes the task his Father sent him. It wasn't enough for him to demonstrate the kingdom, although that's really important and significant that he came to do that. It wasn't enough for him to teach his disciples all of these things. It wasn't enough to heal the sick, to raise the dead. There's something more fundamental at a soul, spirit, body level had to go on in Jesus, in his death, as he completed the fullness and the mystery of redeeming the world. With his death, his obedience to the Father was complete. And that's really, this, this, this victory shout, it, it, it's like a banner that hangs over the entire series that we have been exploring the past few weeks. It is finished. In this victory shout, everything gets wrapped up and made possible. All of that, the Father has a house and the house is our home and that's where we live it is finished. It is made possible. All of that love stoops for us, love abides in us, love flows through us as we are sent into the world. It is finished. He has done it. He has made it possible. All of that persevering, you will face many troubles. All of that peace that the Father gives us as he sends us, it is finished. That is the victory shout of a king. That is the word of victory that Jesus declares here. It is finished. So what does it mean? I think um, some of what it means is that there is hope for the world. I don't know about you, um, but watching the news recently, isn't it just absolutely horrific and awful going on in, in Syria and Iraq and the Middle East? I mean, utterly breaking your heart. I watch the news reports and I think about the lives of children growing up amongst such despair and such confusion and such uncertainty. But it is finished. The victory shout of a king tells me that God can be found amongst the dirt and the trauma of this world, that there is hope that this universe is not assigned some apocalyptic end, kind of like whisked off and God's going to kind of start over but actually he's intimately caring and connecting with the world as we find it it is finished his victory cry over the world but it's also his victory cry over us because just as much it's universal it's it's also personal that this is a God who cares intimately for you this morning that he sees you and he loves you. And the words of a king are over your heart just as much as they're over his world. That actually Jesus, he is incredibly interested in the impact of that victory on your heart this morning. And so some of that means we don't have to live with the same framing narratives in our lives. This is who I am because of this thing that happened. This is who I am because of my upbringing or my genetics, or or my... Actually, Jesus has the ultimate victory. So, in a sense, it is finished. They're his last words, but they're also his first words over us this morning. 
I wonder what it might be that perhaps God's just bringing to mind of his victory that he's already spoken over you. And he's asking you maybe to think about how you could take him at his word this morning. It is finished. I've done it. But just as much as it is a word of victory, it's also a word of weakness. So Jesus, in utter agony on the cross, he cries out for a drink. He says, I thirst. So let's just talk about that for a minute. And I kind of want to dive in here just for a minute, if that's okay. The cross, it wasn't something that Jesus just got on with because he was God. It was actually the violation and the abuse of a physical body in one of the most cruelest forms of execution known in the history of mankind. I mean, this was vile. It was a long, slow, agonizing death ended finally by suffocation as the victims, unable to pull themselves up on the spikes driven through their wrists and feet. In Jesus, we know a God who enters into our suffering and shares them with us. Yes, his victory is complete. His, his, his banner is there. It's a word of victory. But from a rational standpoint, Jesus' story, it, it kind of looked like a failure, to be honest. A would-be Jewish rabbi, stripped naked and executed in public view, obviously lost his kingdom. I mean, Pilate, he writes, the king of the Jews. It's implied as an ironic statement. He's, he's taking the mick, basically. Who is this king? I mean, we're killing him. But Jesus, he's just coming into his kingdom here. And, and there's something of this that I absolutely love about Jesus is that his victory is upside down. He's always doing things in a way that surprises me. And, and his suffering and his weakness means that God is present with me in the middle of my doubts, in the middle of my sinfulness, in the middle of my weakness, because he was present on the cross. And therefore, he's also present in the middle of a hurting world that I love and in the middle of situations and, and people's lives whom I love. He is present and it's crucial for us as we minister in Jesus' name, and um, perhaps in, in your different communities, some of you came up and talked about those, or um, perhaps you're visiting this morning, and you, you can think of situations where you are sharing Jesus in whatever way you are doing that. It's crucial for us that we understand this weakness, because... Um, we don't have to walk around with happy, smiley kind of victory faces <laughs> all the time. That, that's just not, it's just not what he calls us to. He, he suffered in his body. He knew loneliness. He knew abandonment. He knew disillusionment. He knew disappointment. He knew dishonor. He knew betrayal. He knew loss. And he knew the cross. So therefore, he knows us. And he's with us. And so he's with us always. I wonder if you um, sometimes wear a victory face and maybe this morning you don't need to. I know I, I can sometimes do that. I don't have to wear a victory face all the time. He said it's finished. I can trust him with that. But actually he's present here with me when, when I don't feel like I've got everything together or I don't understand. It's a word of weakness. 
So word of victory, word of weakness, but I think it was also a word of silence, a word of silence. And you might be thinking, oh my goodness, she's actually lost it. What is she on about? A word of silence. Well, I was just, I was just really struck by this passage um, that actually, you know, the previous six to seven chapters, you could barely get Jesus to shut up. I mean, you know, it's kind of like speech after speech after speech. Um, but here in this, in this chapter, it's 46 words and a great deal of silence. And I don't know um, how you personally feel about silence. I love silence. I am quite a big introvert, so I love, you know, time on my own reflection, all of that kind of stuff. Um, This year I've been um, quite privileged to spend a bit of time with one of the girls from our uh, youth and um, she shall rename Nameless, but um, she is not a big fan of silence. She's one of the most talkative people I've ever met. She's the number four daughter of our senior pastors. Um, So you can all imagine, I was, um, she's going on a trip to Mozambique with her mum in September. And so we were kind of doing a bit of talking together about, you know, what could you do to raise money for this? So I was saying, you know, could you do a sponsored swim? Or I was thinking we could do it together. So um, sponsored swim or a sponsored walk. And and she said, how about a sponsored skydive, which is very, very like the girl. And um, I said, oh, I know, we could do a sponsored silence, <laughs> which she just thought was the most horrific idea that had ever, you know, been mentioned. But um, I don't know how many of you identify with this, but I found um, in my walk with Jesus that there are definitely times when God seems very silent and sometimes that is just so confusing, isn't it? We, we come t- to church gatherings and, and we're brought up in a family where, where we're taught that God speaks. And he does. And those of you who know me know that I love to talk about the fact that God speaks and, and the prophetic culture where it's normal for us to hear God's voice and share that with others. That's, that's the real heart that God's given me. But there are seasons and times where God seems very silent, It's almost like he hides his face from us so that we might lean in and find him in a new way. And I think there are maybe two things going on here. Um, Number one, I think the silence of Christ is because sometimes there are no words for the things that God calls us to. We are unable to be obedient like he was. We have nothing to contribute. We are sick and we are, we, we are sinful and there is depravity and evil in, in my heart that I've encountered that if it were not for Jesus, you know, I, I have nothing to say before the Father about these things. I, I, I have nothing to contribute. And in Pilate's courtroom at that beginning of the passage that we just read, Pilate says to Jesus, what is it? that you have done. Jesus, silent, silence in Pilate's courtroom. And this is a complete echo um, to Genesis 3. We look back and we see Father God with Adam and Eve in the garden. What is it that you have done? And they are unable to answer because they have sinned. And I think Adam goes on to say something about it was her fault, but that's a completely other talk, so we won't go there. But Jesus, he is taking the place of us who have no answer 
nothing to say before the throne of the Father. He is being obedient to the letter with this task that God has set him. And he represents us. He stands, as it were, before us, before the Father. And he has no answer. He is silent. What is it that you have done? Silence. But I think the silence of Christ in this passage, um, it also points us to a truth, if I can wander down this little rabbit hole for a minute, that sometimes there are seasons where he is silent. And that is not vindictive, but it's just the way that God um, prepares us, the way he disciplines us like a good parent, so that actually we might lean in and find his face and his voice, his hands, his heart in a new way. He, um, R.T. Kendall, he calls this the betrayal barrier. He does not actually betray us, but it sure feels like he does. And when God appears to be hiding, we are sent looking for him. And so could it be, you know, in the mix of this last series that we need reminding of this, that there are seasons in amongst the abiding and the wrestling and the sending and the outpouring. Um, There are seasons where God, he seems to be hiding, but that's okay. And could it be as we lean in that he's actually on the brink of breakthrough in our lives? That actually only where graves are is their resurrection. And there are things that he teaches us in hiddenness and silence and as we go searching for him that he couldn't teach us when we're up on the mountaintop. So it's a word of silence. Word of love. Just got a couple more and then we're going to wrap up. A word of love. Jesus, he turns to his mother and his son. And um, I, I love this. He says, woman, here is your son. Isn't it remarkable that in amongst all this incredible pain, Jesus, he's on the cross. He still finds time to give dignity and support to his, to his family and friends. And it's here at the foot of the cross that actually this new community of people, this is, this is why we are here this morning here in Edinburgh in this particular building. It's because Jesus, um, at the foot of his cross, this whole new family of God is formed, not based on our, our likes or our dislikes or whether we think Suarez should be banned or not banned or whether we're going to vote yes or no to pick another contentious issue. Um, but actually, it, it's based on Jesus, just on him. And actually sitting next to each one of you this morning is the closest thing to family that you're ever going to get because it's the Holy Spirit present in you and present in them that binds you together. And that's what Jesus was doing here. Woman, here is your son. His word of love, that he loves us. So he provides for us in that way. And I wonder what his word of love to you is this morning. And for each one of you, it'll be different. Maybe just even, I think for a few of you, as you are coming in, actually, God did say to you what, what, what his word of love is to you this morning. There is hope for you. I am I'm redeeming this. I'm, I'm sorting this situation out. Remember this person. This is who I am giving you. That Jesus, he, he's always providing. He's always with us. His word of love. And then finally, the word of God. Because over and above Every audible word uttered 
in the whole end chapter of John and in this entire series, surely the best word of all is that Jesus is the word of God. And here, as Jesus dies, the claim of, of John 1.14, the word of God made flesh, is completely vindicated, completely made through, completely finished. And in this word, everything else finds it completion. Like I was saying earlier, the victory banner of Christ, it is finished. Everything gets wrapped up here. Because in this chapter, what happens is that Jesus, he enters the full reality of death. He doesn't just kind of walk up to it in a kind of Doctor Who special and gets beamed up. But he actually enters into the fullness of death for us and with us. He is the word of God. That's what that means. And then as I was just reading through this passage, I found this really beautiful passage from Bruce Milne's commentary. And I'd love just to read it to you about Jesus and how he walks with us, descends with us into death. He walks with us through that door, all the way with us, right into the grey, after-death world of funeral parlours and the making of arrangements for the disposing of the body. The world of strained faces, hushed voices, and tear-stained eyes. He takes his place within the world of the receding past where death's destructive power is so real and irreversible. Dead, buried, gone. And yet, Jesus was king in death. He was king in death, and in his victory, the Father raises him from the dead, and so he is alive. And so in these final last words of Jesus, as he meets us at the very end in our death, in our, in our sinfulness, in our sickness, in our inability to make anything happen on our own, he comes and he breathes life. And so in amongst everything that I've (laughs) talked about this morning. I wonder if you might just take a minute just to think, what's the the thing that God's been saying to me? And where is it that he would breathe life into me? As he says, it is finished, his word of victory. As he says, I thirst, as he identifies with us in every weakness. But... um, That actually, you know, so much of this is a mystery and that's okay that we we don't understand all of what went on here. But he's present and he's here with us. And later on in in chapter 20, when Jesus appears to his disciples and um, he says to them, peace be with you. And then he sends them as the father has sent me. So I am sending you. So why don't, we, why don't we stand together and I'd love just to lead us in prayer as we respond to what God's been saying and then Amy and the band are going to come. So why don't we stand and um, I would love just to pray. Yes, Jesus, we, we thank you that you are the word, (laughs) that you are just amazing. 
that you conquered death, that you rose again, that you are king, that you are victorious over us and over this world. And so, Lord Jesus, acknowledging that so much of this is mystery, so much of this is is beyond comprehension, beyond understanding, we just want to bring you the things that we think you've been highlighting to us this morning. And just in the quiet, Lord, to bring you our hearts once again. Thanking you that you are present in our weakness and in our doubt just as much as in our celebration and our joy. So just in the quiet, just a minute to reflect on what God has been saying to you. And Jesus, we just say that we welcome your victory in our lives. We welcome the upside downness of your kingdom, that the way that you speak to us, that we actually can't do any of this on our own, that you speak to our self-sufficiency and our pride, that you humble us. And um, we invite, Father, your power um, and your hope afresh into our hearts this morning. And Father, I I just welcome that and I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would breathe afresh your hope and and your victory and your strength into hearts this morning. That we, we choose, Father, to lay down our pride and just any sense of being able to do this on our own. And we say that we need you. We need you, Jesus. That we want to hear anew. You say it is finished over us. Yeah, Jesus, we worship you. You are the king. You are the king. And yet you are mocked. But we, we enthrone you. We say that you are our king. And we love you. Amen. Oh,